Hey everybody, welcome to the First No Film School podcast of 2024, the year in which I will have been doing this podcast for eight years. Just Jason and I were just talking about wow. getting older, facing time changing. Anyway, I'm Charles. It doesn't Hayden. stop. It doesn't it, stop. <laughs> well, I mean, until you die, just to get real dark. So I'm, I'm Charles Hayden. I'm here with Gigi Hawkins. Hello. And Jason Hellerman. It's been five years since I've been doing this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very weird. It's also very weird that like, Gigi, I've met you in person, but Jason, I've still not met you in person. Oh, really? Yeah. You guys yeah. haven't? I'm great. Oh, that is amazing. I'm so much better in person, according to most people now. It's yeah. unbelievable that you could have just really deep relationships with people that you've never sat down with in person. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, because of the way podcasts work, everybody develops a parasocial relationship with the hosts. So I think they assume the hosts have more have like a social relationship with each other based on that. So if you are a longtime listener, although I will say this, if you listen for a really long time, Todd and I used to co-host and I finally met Todd in person in October. And it was like, immediately, I was like, oh, yeah, of course, I've known you forever, but I'm just meeting you in person. I had that parasocial relationship with you, Charles, before you were my professor at film school. And when I met you, I was like starstruck. And I was like, why did they put me in the advanced editing class? Because I used to work in podcasting, but I was on the business side. And like Charles Hain, the Charles Hain of No Film School, what the hell? And, and then a beautiful friendship blossomed from that. And here we are. I do think that this podcast and the way that I incorporate it into my life is I I feel like we are at coffee or happy hour hanging out with our like people that we are interested in hearing their thoughts on. Yeah, here as we sip coffee on Monday morning and, and that sort of like hangout, keeping our listeners company vibe is how I used to use the podcast as like, OK, like, you know, as a filmmaker, you can be kind of it can be kind of lonely sometimes, especially when you're getting your your getting your start. And and so like, how can we sort of like keep each other in the mix, keep each other abreast of anything that's interesting and ask each other questions. And so that's why I love also when our listeners like send questions in and gut check with us because it's like what we would do with our coworkers. Yeah. yeah. I love that you're both having coffee because I'm eating jelly beans. <laughs> so it's like coffee, coffee, jelly bean. If we were going to play a game of what everyone's snacking on. I love um, that. So our topic this week, we have one topic, but there's many facets, and it is etiquette. If you were old enough, you remember when the internet was first born, there was a thing called netiquette, which was internet etiquette. But now that the internet is just life, um, we just call etiquette etiquette. We could start saying medicate for meat space etiquette, for Ooh. etiquette off the internet, medicate. But also, there is film and media etiquette. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately. If you guys haven't read it, the New Yorker just had a deep dive on Scott Frank's career. Scott Frank has had a very interesting career as a screenwriter. And like, there's a long section in that on his friendship with Steven Soderbergh yep. and Steven Soderbergh's like mentorship of him. And like the five years they didn't talk because of how like tough Steven Soderbergh was in giving notes on a certain project. And like filmmaking is isolating. But one of your goals is to build a community of people that you trust and respect and give you notes and feedback. And, you know, we're all coming up together, right? Like that is the goal. That is the hope is that we're all sort of looking out for each other and trying to get as far as we can as a team. And that all falls into etiquette. So specifically, those all kicked off over the weekend. Jason, do you want to break down the newsiness part of this? It's funny, uh, the way this conversation started, I uh, was scrolling on Twitter and saw that there was, let's say, for lack of a better word, an amateur screenwriter who was tweeting back at, I think, I can't remember if it was a professional writer or if it started with a contest, but basically the idea was, hey, 
you know, you, for a spec script, you should try to write something under 120 pages because, you know, that's the average length of most movies and readers get burnt out. So, you know, write that 120 page or less script, you know, preferably less, and you'll have uh, a better time with it. And that sort of snowballed into someone being like, I'll turn in whatever length script I want. And if I have a great idea, you should be willing to read it. And the problem is readers uh, are against reading stuff over 120 pages. And then some professional writers uh, chimed in. um, And once they chimed in, then this uh, amateur person started firing back. And it was not just like, you know, it wasn't even like cheap shots about the movies they had made. It was legitimately just him being like, hey, no, this is the way it is. And I'm going to write as long as I want. And you guys should listen to me and blah, blah, blah. And, and I found it to be, look, I, you know, I go on the internet because I love cringe comedy, you know? <laughs> and sometimes when you watch someone spiral, there is a little bit of schadenfreude in there. But it's also something that comes back to me, I think, just in networking and, and being chronically online the, that, you know, if professional writers are trying to tell you, not necessarily the way it is, but suggest, a good way to break in and you are not a millionaire writer, maybe it's time to listen, right? Maybe it's not time to clap back, as the kids say. And mm-hmm. I I just was kind of like reading the thread in shock and all, just like, what are we doing here? Like this is, hey, I would be so happy to have a conversation with any of these bigger writers and you're just squandering it, arguing with them over something that you definitely aren't an authority on. So I found that to be fascinating and it really kicked off you know, a nice conversation you know, in my group threads and also just about like foot, foot and mouth disease. And also just like, how do you handle yourself online? You know, are you constantly tweeting what movies you hate? You know, like, like what, what public perception are you putting out there? And, and also like, you know, I do think for, it can be frustrating sometimes, but your online persona is your brand, right? It's like what, if people Google, they could find your X profile and, and see all the things you said. So if you spend a while, you know, crapping on people or professionals. I don't know if that's like the best way to prove you could get along with people in the next stages of your career. Yeah. I mean, Lauren Michaels famously has that never hire anyone you wouldn't want to see in the hallway at four in the morning dictum, which is like, doesn't mean that you only want to hire your friends, but it means you don't want to hire anybody that it would be actively pleasant to see in the middle of unpleasant to see in the middle of the night. And I, I feel like there's what's particularly interesting about that one is like, it's clear that that person has not only not written a screenplay, but not even done the entry level job of being a reader. Cause right. I'll tell you what, like most screenwriters should spend time as a reader at some point or another in their career. And mm-hmm. holy cow, my first job reading screenplays at creative artists. The first thing you would check is the page counts of the screenplay every single time, because you're doing like the readers are industrial workers like everybody else. And they're doing math on how long this read is going to take. Usually I like to read a script twice. So 125 page script is going to take way longer than 106 page script. Cause oh, yeah. it's, it's that 20 page difference is actually 40 pages. Cause I'd like to read twice before writing up. It was, it was always a bigger thing. And also within a month of reading scripts at creative artists, I realized that there was not a single script longer than 120 pages. That was good at all because the professional writers that were coming across my table that were doing a thing did the work to fit the story in the 117, 106, 112 range, which was the professional standard. Mm-hmm. And so an offer was out on an actor or somebody was trying to get repped. Those were great. The 136 pagers were always gibberish with no exception. And so even if your 136 pager is brilliant, you have now put yourself in a position where the reader thinks 
ah, oh, this is an amateur. And so now you're trying to come from behind. You're now digging you're yourself to out of a hole. That. Exactly. As opposed to you came in at 119, you cut those 17 pages that were painful to cut, but you cut them and that you try and add them back later once the film is greenlit. And then you're constantly trying to pitch those scenes as revisions. And you're you're starting at base level. And so it's it's interesting to me the the ignorance of the way the system works combined with like public argumentativeness. I've been thinking about this a lot lately in terms of like, you know, there are some people who I respect who are actors and creators and otherwise who make a decision at a certain point to pursue YouTube instead of the traditional industry, which I respect. And when they make that decision, you're making a decision to burn bridges in some ways because you become mm. a critic and you become sort of, you know, like I'm Maggie May Fish is great. I'm watching some Maggie May Fish videos right now. She's very entertaining. She's very smart. She's got incisive reads. I really liked her take on Joseph. Cam- I, I ended up on her channel because I remember I mentioned Joseph Campbell, the fascist on this channel a little while ago. And I was like, I want to expand more on his fascism. So I watched a Maggie May Fish video about that. And then she has some other videos that are very critical of big filmmakers. And she is now ruling herself out of getting cast by any of those filmmakers. I, she's a very smart person. I'm sure she's made that decision actively. She's made the choice. YouTube is her creative sphere. But like, you're always making decisions about the places you're going to play when you do this. In the history of the cinema, have writers taken some writing assignments from directors that weren't their favorite? Yes. Absolutely, yeah. Is there any benefit in being very public about who your least favorite directors are? No, you're just ruling out yourself out of, first off, you might be wrong. You might get hired by them and discover they're actually a lot better than you think they are. And they just had a bad run of mm-hmm. like bad studio executives or, or not every movie works. It's, it's such a strange thing to think about like what you want to be public with in terms of your opinions as you pursue this. What's interesting is I do wonder if this is something where the younger generation will be better because they are used to everything they say just being public all the time. And are maybe more careful about it. I don't know. Yeah, you- I don't know. Yeah, I I feel uh, torn about about this in particular because we are in this moment where social media is such an extension of ourselves, especially with the younger generation. You know, I learned my brother has a a public Instagram and then one for Justice Friends. Which Luke, thank you for letting me follow the inside one. I feel very cool and accepted, and we are not ops which is a thing that they say. And I read, an, I read a New York Times article that said, that's called a, that said it's called a Finsta. A Finstagram, yes. I think that actually is dated now, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think that in, in the way that we use social media and the way that like this co- sort of cultural moment that we're in, it's so in vogue to have a hot take on everything. And everyone needs to have an opinion about everything. And it actually is so irritating and grating to me right now because it's like, I don't know why I need to have an opinion about this thing that I am not an expert in, not a in no way affiliated and et cetera, et cetera. And I think that bleeds over into people who are very excited and very passionate about becoming a filmmaker, becoming a screenwriter. And there are all these like you know, sub communities, micro cultures around like screenwriting Reddit and screenwriting Twitter. And they can be, I I try to avoid them because they can be pretty insidious with these like grand sweeping statements of don't ever do this or do this. And then we're arguing over it. And I, I just feel sad for the person that, you know, Jason is, had followed who, who like was like, nope, 
I'm going to write whatever it is because like, I, I don't want to work with this person. It tells me that they are stuck in their ways. And where is the humility where like we all just need to slice a humble pie, especially in the beginning of our screenwriting careers. And unless you have something to prove for it, I just I, I just feel like it's a symptom of this culture that we're in where we need to have a hot take. Like why why spend energy engaging with, you know, successful screenwriters and trying to make a point when you could be just putting that into refining your script, put that energy elsewhere. Don't spin your wheels. And and it is an extension of ourselves. I feel like I'm on Instagram. I wish I was not on it, honestly, but I don't feel like I can be off of it at this point in my career because otherwise, like there is momentum. There are people that we follow each other and it's like staying in the loop. And I hope in you know five years from now, I will be able to sustain myself as a writer director and I won't have to be there. But it feels like this necessary evil where you have to strike a balance of not being a showboat, not being a curmudgeon Scrooge, and but still promoting yourself. And to walk that line, it's really difficult. And it takes a weird amount of energy that just feels re- it's unfortunate that we have to do it, but it does feel like a necessary evil. Yeah. I also think <clears throat> social media, just in general, I would also love to be off of it. But I do think just in in writing, a lot of times it, it factors into stories or a question like an exec will ask, which I don't always love, but always comes up is like, well, like, couldn't they text someone or like, what are what, what, like, what's the way around this? You know, like, is there a social media plot hole? Right. Would someone have tweeted, don't go to the parking garage at four. You know what I mean? Like it is it, it does feel like a necessary evil, even in just like inhabiting the world, like are our characters using it. How do we bob? I mean, I remember even writing with that Roku show, we had to come up with like, you know, why does this guy not know this girl has a boyfriend? And it was like she she didn't share him on her social, you know, like that sort of thing of like questions that you have to answer. But you know, this kind of circles back into etiquette, right? Like, how do you behave on social media? Then how do you take it? Obviously, rallying against other professionals is the wrong way. I find I'm always trying to strike a balance between like tweeting about movies I love, which I always think is safe, right? If you love something, put it out there. I try to take joy in the world. Exactly. Yeah. But with the negative stuff, because look, there are plenty of things I did not like this year for plenty of, I think, good reasons. Uh, Those are fish. I'll I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put him in our group chat, you know, but that's what it's for. I think like if you have a group chat with your friends, like put it there. You know why? Because you can walk that back eventually. Like I remember I'd have to think of like different. I I was unsold on Jacob Elordi being a good actor until I saw Priscilla and I was like, oh, this guy has it. He does have it. Maybe I just didn't like uh, certain things he was in as much as other people. And I wasn't a huge Euphoria fan, so I didn't really watch that. And I, I I remember arguments, not the right word. Let's say like discussion I was having with friends on like him versus Austin Butler, you know, and I was like a huge Austin Butler fan and still am and, and always will be. But like the, those sorts of debates are are fun. But like if you start bringing in the quality of movies or like directors they work with or different things, you know, I always think like, hey, maybe that's safer for the group chat. And and honestly, like you can walk it back. I, I am constantly startled at um how much I thought I knew when I broke in in 2013, right, was on the blacklist, got a movie made, was taking huge meetings versus what I know now, which I'm like, oh, wow, I'm armed with so much more now. And I I think like that, that little baby Jason 10 years ago, that 27 year old, you know, I wish he had the wisdom I have now, or at least like the, the, the lived in life experiences, because it turns out we're not right about different things. And I know in 10 years at 47, I'll also 
be a bigger wealth of knowledge. And, and I think what scares me a little bit about social media, like I have all my tweets delete after three months. So like there's no, nothing older than three months on there, mostly because I don't know what takes I'm going to have, right? I don't know if I'm going to have a hot take about a, a film or a person or whatever that just goes away. You know, I think it's like, <laughs> it like it's probably like a dark thing, but like in the 90s, you could be like, man, I think Harvey Weinstein's the greatest producer of all time, right? <laughs> like without informed knowledge, like, you know, that could come back. You don't, you don't want people digging up that tweet, but also just like etiquette wise, imagine getting in an argument with somebody on Twitter and then having to have a general meeting with them later, right? Like, oh, like this God. is, it's such a small town, you know, it's such a small universe. And Hollywood is really like, uh, I know people, you know, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of execs who will start sending me tweets of different people. And I'll be like, oh, they're on. I, they don't, I didn't even know they have a Twitter, you know, like maybe they have a secret Twitter, but it's like, oh, and my friend, I remember one of my buddies was like, oh, I just have one to lurk. And I thought that was very funny. And he, what he's doing is just literally looking at like, you know, he's an executive and just looking at what people are tweeting because then he brings it to his boss. It's like if they hated our last two movies and they're coming in for a meeting, guess what movie we're not going to buy? Theirs, you know, yeah. <laughs> like uh, that sort of stuff. I'm also just waiting for the moment that I get canceled. <laughs> so I'm mentally preparing for that yeah. um, because of, you know, I it went to college and was in Greek life and like went to CEOs and office hose parties, like these things where it's like, well, my past will come back to haunt me one way or another, or I will make a, a story that, you know, doesn't resonate with everyone. And, and I think that, you know, there, there, there's an element of like, do you want to be as vanilla as you can be to be safe? I don't think so. But do you want to add fuel to the fire? But you, if you put in your art, I think you're fine. You know what I mean? Like, I, I do think like I'd rather have people for lack of a better. Here's the only movie I can remember in recent memory that like, but like remember three billboards, like the discussion yeah. around three. Like that was like people were taking sides, but, but like nobody's trying to cancel. What's his face? John. Is it John Patrick Shanley or is, no, it's someone else. Doesn't matter. We should. It is, it is not uh, John yeah. Patrick Shanley. It's. Um, it's I always get these poets, uh, these playwrights confused. Uh, it's it's what's his face? It's Banshees of Inisherin, and uh, is anyone googling? Martin McDonough. I... Martin McDonough. Martin Thank McDonough. you, Charles. All right. Well, my apologies. Please don't cancel me, John Patrick Shanley. I love <laughs> doubt. I'm pretty sure he did doubt, right? Um, he did and... Joe versus the volcano. If you're going to yeah. be dropping Shanley, Moonstruck, Joe uh, <laughs> versus the volcano. Yeah, all the good canceled. ones canceled. Canceled. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's. I do think it's funny just because I think I'm probably at written close to 4,000 no film school articles. And I'm always like, oh, God, is someone going to pull something up for six years ago and be like, you said you hated whatever. And I, I don't know, like, I don't, I think I took down any posts that, that I hated anything. But I also am like, you know, so much of this business is whatever that like, if you put it into your art, I think you're fine. Just like if you put it online and you're like, I think Steven Spielberg's a hack. I'm like, that. You know what I mean? Like you said that, which I think if you read Hot no films, take. Yeah, exactly. Hot you know, I don't take. believe that. But like that that does come back. It's funny. Like I I do think it is your tweets have a half-life. And you know, if it's I'm I'm hoping it's never like the Facebook photo or whatever, but you never know. So I'm curious about what your advice is for like younger emerging filmmakers, especially like students who are sort of coming up and getting ready to launch their professional career. Do you talk to your students at all about this? Yeah, we talk about social media. I've got a class. I usually teach the last semester class called Portfolio Development. But uh, what's funny is that that covers social media and setting up a business and finding your niche and all that stuff. 
And what's funny is we're trying to get a lot of that content earlier in the program because a lot of students have been like, why is this the last year? Like we should be talking about this from the beginning. But, you know, I have sort of a deck I always do on social media. And one of the things I say is like, yeah, have a group chat with your friends. And social media is a different place. Like it's not you and your friends. It is like you are pursuing a public job, which is different from when you make that moment to say, all right, I'm going to do YouTube. I'm going to do a different thing. And I'm going to be able to give like deep, incisive reads on studio filmmakers who work I don't support. It's a different avenue. But if you are still looking to pursue the mainstream industry, it's a different thing. And it's a public persona and it should be crafted and curated. And like you can have a group chat or a Finsta with your friends. And that's a different animal. And yeah, you should be putting the positivity of what you're excited about. On the flip side, you should be honest about your journey because people are excited to help. And there's no shame in admitting what you don't know. And there's no shame for asking for advice of things. And there's real power in that, in opening yourself up to that. Mm -hmm. And I think what's interesting is you'll see beginning people starting their journey sometimes who are afraid to be public with like confusion about something or asking advice about something where like everybody would be fine with it and it's not going to hurt your career. Like everybody went through that and gets it and remembers what it feels like, but are like way open with being like, yeah, every studio should catch fire. And you're like, why would you say that? Do you not someday expect one of them? Burn it all down. And you're like, come on. So it is, it is a complicated thing. I, I think about this all the time. I was really lucky. Like my second article at no film school got roasted badly in the comments because I got the name of a graphics card manufacturer wrong. And people were like, dumbass, you're such an idiot. And we had a troll at the time who was just very mean. And oh. it was this, but it was this nice thing of like, oh, okay. And like writing on the internet, people are just gonna, people are just gonna, whatever you say, people are going to be mean to you, which is weird. Cause I haven't had that experience at YouTube. All my YouTube comments are nice. Well, it's Cause you it's, have such an inviting face. Aw. I think it's the white beard makes people go easy on me because they assume I'm old and frail. But yeah, I mean, it is this thing of thinking about like, you know, I, I don't know what the tool is now because I don't have it. But I remember when I worked at a production, when, when I had a production company, when I owned a company, there was a tool in your Gmail that would automatically bring in people's social media stuff. It was called Reportive. And like, anytime I was emailing with someone on the right, I would see like this whole display of their last LinkedIn post, their last tweet, their last Facebook. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, I'd get a job application from someone and I'd see like them doing a keg stand then. And like, and like one time I, I even did tell them, I was like, look, this is all public and scraped. Like you should not have your most recent photo be a keg stand. Perfect. Like just not the best move when you were trying to get your first job out of school. Yeah. But it is a thing. And I'm sure there's a modern equivalent to that HR department's use. I don't know what it is anymore because I'm out of the game, but or out of that hiring newcomers game. But it is something to be conscious of to think about. I sold a pitch in 2015, honestly, for real money. And the basic <laughs> prem, the basic premise for this movie, which will never be made, probably is it was basically like Hitch, but the guy is what he did was scraped your internet and made when they Google you made it like all sorts of flattery articles. You know, it'd be like. Gigi, former Miss USA, you know what I mean? Like whatever, like, so you just like, it'd have like, you know, and you know, Charles, internet millionaire, like, so he'd like beef up your Google so that when you're dating or applying for things, it'd be good. And part of the pitch we, we took out back then, we did it in person, was I went on and we'd figure out who, which execs we were pitching and their assistants. And I would pull a ton of embarrassing photos off their Facebooks. Oh my God. And like, and like Getty images. And I remember going in and pitching to John Avnet, who produced, oh my God, what's that Tom Cruise movie uh, with the hooker? 
19 risky business. Business. risky business thank you Producer risky business. sex worker is probably the more yeah. you've been canceled now i'm definitely yeah exactly yes sex worker anyway risky business and i had like pulled pictures from the 80s like the, of him just like partying at the after party and he thought it was so we laughed really hard like it was no there was nobody that took it wrong but i remember some of the younger execs being like how did you get these photos and i was like if you just google you and you go to images and you just scroll for a bit, I could, like, I can find anything. You know, I found goofy photos. And what I would do for the pitch was, like, as I launched into the pitch and talked about what this guy would do, I would start handing out the photos. I had had them printed out of the people. And, like, it wound up, it it was a fun, it was the only time I've ever done anything like that, which was, like, a little showy. But I, at that moment, did realize, I was like, oh, this is, like, all out there, and then deleted my Facebook immediately and was terrified. But, But it is such an interesting thing. I do appreciate the the note that you had, Charles, about sharing your in a vulnerable way, sharing about your journey, sharing about seeking advice in a constructive way. Like that feels like it's breeding a healthy community and a healthy dynamic. I love I love filmmaker Instagram stories when it's like I'm looking for this role or, you know, requesting input onto a certain thing. Or have you ever shot? On a standing airplane set, for example, which we put that feeler out on the podcast and on Instagram and got a bunch of support just by putting it out there. And I like that community building thing or also sharing like, hey, I thought I did this thing well and it was completely humbling and I didn't know anything. Sam Hargrave, the director of Extraction and Extraction 2, he keeps all of his shorts on YouTube, including the bad ones, because he wants people to see where you have to start in order to become what your what you envision yourself being, and I Amazing. think that's really cool. That is very that is so cool. I I think like the demystification of Hollywood is that like everyone comes and is immediately great, right? But if you go back and and watch, you know, Spielberg's Columbo episode, it's not perfect, right? It's it's cool, right? That's a cool zoom out in the beginning, and there's cool stuff. And I, I love Duel, but I do think it's like missing a couple themes, you know? Like I just we're People have natural talent, right? You, that's what, how you get here, hopefully, is like you have some natural talent. But it is like you're you are like kind of whittling away. You're chiseling away and becoming like a magnificent, you know, take the marble and, and turn it into David or whatever you want, whatever metaphor you want. But it's not so few people come in fully formed. You have to come from somewhere. I'd love to use this to segue into feedback etiquette, uh, especially because I am at this stage of um, sending my film a cut of my movie out and asking for feedback, which is something that I highly, highly encourage all filmmakers to do early in the process of their career. So there's they're not operating in a bubble where they're like, yes, this is perfect. This is great. My little short film, it's 15 minutes long and there's a montage where somebody wakes up in the morning. Like you need to operate outside of that bubble. So I think feedback is such a critical part of the process of becoming a better storyteller. But I have also, I think, received requests for feedback in ways that are not great. And I've also sent requests for feedback in ways that looking back, I'm like, oh, that's pretty rude how I did it. Just assuming somebody would give me notes. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on feedback etiquette and how you could be approaching people for feedback. I'll go first. I'm very proud of this Snow Film School article I wrote maybe last year called Don't Be a Dick. And it was just a guide to feedback. And sometimes I think it's it should be common sense. But, you know, whether people who read stuff and 
you know, I have I have friends who are execs who are constantly we'll chat and be like, how do I break this news to someone? Or I'll get feedback from them and I'll be like, well, that was you maybe haven't listened to haven't read the Don't Be a Dick article. Uh, but, you know, I think some of it's interesting when you're giving feedback to someone. I always think it's like I do think it's important to like compliment sandwich or at least up front be like, hey, this is what I think your goals are. This is this is where I think you know, you want to end up. And then now I'm going to try and help you on your journey getting right. That that's, that's the way asking for feedback. I always find to be really difficult because you are in such a raw place, right? Like, Hey, this is an idea or it's, you know, first cut of my movie. It's, it's X, Y, Z. And I just really need someone to help me get it over the finish line. I think it's like you're approaching it with humbleness. And then you're saying like, I love your taste. I love what you have to say. If you have the time, please let me know. You know, I could, I could buy you dinner. I could you get a cup of coffee, whatever it is. I think like when you're bartering like that, it's it's between friends, right? It's like, what do you feel comfortable? Some people enjoy it. Like I, I genuinely enjoy giving feedback to my friends. So I'm not like in it to win it. But I think last week I had given someone feedback on a script and they sent me a like a $10 Starbucks gift card. Super nice. I was like, what a great, what a great way to say thank you without, you know, approaching it. But it is, it's, it's figuring out what that is. So I think it's like when I'm asking someone to read a script, which is usually 99% of what I want feedback on, I'll just say like, hey, my goal for this is to write a hilarious Hitchcockian thriller about XYZ. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I got there, but like, I appreciate any thoughts and insight. And, you know, I always say like, you know, if you could get like, if you get to, I try to give them 30 days in the next month, I think that'd be great. Cause my goal, I always tell them my goal is to take it out to Hollywood in February or March or whatever. Right. So it's like setting a deadline and that way, you know, hopefully they can get to it then. Hopefully they see it by then. If I don't get it back by then, I also just don't follow up. That's like one of my biggest things is like, mm. if I don't like bugging people, I also think you're never going to get good notes. If you're like, Hey, did you read that thing yet? Right. It's like, you've got to let people kind of come back around to it. Uh, and when I'm giving feedback, I try to just, like I said, start with a paragraph about what I think they are either doing right or what I think they want to be. And then I just launch into notes. Notes are different. It's, if it's a script, I try to give overarching act notes like act one, act two, act three. Here's where I think things could connect. And then sometimes I'll, if I do think it needs like really like page note stuff, I'll go and be like, all right, on page four, this doesn't make sense. What's this payoff? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and that really is like, different because I'm not going to do that for every project because it takes so long. I try to do it for ones where I think the person's really close, maybe on the page. If they're really far away, I'll usually just write big paragraphs. How about you, Charles? So I got, I have so much on this topic. The first thing I like to talk about is that like, I feel like giving feedback to each other is one of our jobs as a filmmaker. Like if you are a filmmaker, you are building a community of peers. And one of the things you pay into that community of peers is feedback, right? Going back to that great New Yorker profile on Scott Frank, that everybody should read, not to, I know we should plug stuff onto film school and you should read Don't Be a Duck by Jason Ellerman, but that New, the New Yorker thing is great. And like Soderbergh is one of those filmmakers who famously takes being a director very seriously, talks very publicly about what he's continued to learn about filmmaking. There's a great blog post he did somewhere about like, thinking after his fourth feature that he really understood blocking and then going back and watching a lot of Max Ophel's movies and being like, I don't know anything about blocking. I know nothing about blocking and continuing to learn. And I think of feedback as one of our continuing opportunities to learn. Like I think about it when I'm asked to read a different script or look at a film's cut. Like I have learned so much about movies by trying to articulate my notes to my friends and peers about their projects that it is like one of our professional Obligation. So I don't think you should ever feel bad about asking people for notes. 
But I do think you always want to ask, I love what Jason is like, 30 days, and I'm trying to send this out in 90 days. Like, give some people context about your bandwidth and expectations for turnaround. And, you know, it's a conversation. It's like, you shouldn't feel bad about asking because it's part of a filmmaker's job, but you should also, you know, have understanding for context. I've definitely, like, I've had times in my life where I just said, I, I'm not doing notes right now because I don't have time. And like, that's, it never lasts forever that I'm that busy. And then when I have time, people, you know, it is, it is what we do. And you should be trying to build those connections with the people you trust to give you feedback of a variety of ways. I'm mixed on the sandwich thing. So I'm super sensitive. I have, I remember in film school storming out of a class because I didn't like some feedback and like the TA had to come find me in the parking lot. And like, you know, it was like, I'm, I feel my feelings very intensely. I almost lost arguably one of my best friends to a note session three years ago where we're like, we didn't talk for a month. And finally my wife was like, you should just call him and hash it out. And I called him and we hashed it out. And it was like, you know, it was like one of my closest friends I've lost. And I've lost at least one friend to notes that, the other way. And mm-hmm. like, I recognize we are sensitive beings. The sensitivity is what makes us want to do this. The right. sensitivity is what lets us see things about the world. Like if you are not sensitive in some way, you are probably not interested in writing and making movies because it, sensitivity is what makes us see these things that yeah. notice over at the other side of a party, like the dynamic of that couple and how they're talking to the other person and see all of those things. That sensitivity is also what drives us. But it's complicated. The problem with the sandwich technique, I read this book 10 years ago called Verbal Judo, which pointed out that everyone knows the sandwich technique. So the problem with the sandwich technique is that as soon as people hear compliments, they're expecting the criticisms. So I try and do what Jason actually, Jason said he sandwiched, but then what he described is not sandwiching. (laughs) What he described is actually what I do, which is a multi-course meal. And I start with the appetizer of, here are my observations of what I think you're trying to accomplish. I'm going to set the stakes with you of what I think you are trying to do. And then I'm going to give you the meal of my feedback and then dessert of the things that I think worked and like the support for where to keep going to wrap it up nicely. It's not a sandwich. It doesn't start with compliments because I think verbal judo is right that most people when they, everyone knows the sandwich when they're hearing those opening compliments, they're not really listening. Mm-hmm. So I think appetizer, here's my assumptions based on what I've seen or what I've read of what your goal is meal, dessert. And I think that works pretty well, but it's tricky. I mean, it's always a balancing act, you know, the, the, it, it also all gets wrapped up in, I mean, you know, William Goldman had this thing where he was like, I always ask people what notes they want because I'm tough. Mm -hmm. And like some people just want encouragement and that's okay. And it is this thing of like, when you're giving notes to people, you're like, does this live up to my expectations of what I think you're capable of? And so sometimes I end up giving very harsh notes to people because I think they have more in them. Yeah. And sometimes I end up going kind of easy on people. because I'm like, I feel like you're batting about where you are right now. So it's a tricky, it's a sort of a tricky balancing act with notes, you know, but then you, you read that story about Steven Soderbergh, who was like, they didn't talk for a long time after his first round of notes. And then he came back to him with another movie and Soderbergh's like, I'm going to sit with you in the edit for a couple of weeks and we're going to fix this, which yeah. is like, what a generous friend to come in and you know scott frank is now directing at the level he's been writing for 40 years and like part of it is that process it's all it's a it's a complicated thing note etiquette there's a lot there i think that there's something to be said about how you're receiving feedback as well uh it 
this is probably a filmmaker 101 thing, but when you're receiving notes, it, it of course we go into fight or flight mode because it's our you know baby that we've just put out there and and we're, we're we've taken it in theory you should have taken it as far as you can take it at the point that you're sharing for feedback or providing context to the person who's giving you notes otherwise and if somebody is going to be giving notes that are like well this thing doesn't work completely it's very easy for those defenses to go up but it, i think if you reframe it as this is actually incredibly valuable in that either what is the note behind the note this thing isn't working or this is a person who cares cares about me and my project cares enough to be vulnerable and honest and constructive we don't need gold stars for completing something or if that's what you want like tell somebody that um and and so when those fight or flight you know defense walls come up being able to contextualize it, sit with it, not be the person who is pushing back on notes. Of course, ask for clarification if something isn't making sense to you, but there, it is so valuable to get honest feedback from someone who understands story or understands how to convey a feeling in a moment via picture and sound. There's a reason that uh, screenplay feedback is such a hot commodity on the internet, right? We've written about AI doing it. We've written about the blacklist and stage 32 and get made. And I think of the, like the other numerous screenplay contests that do it, right? Austin feedback, whatever, like slam dance, slam dance. Exactly. Like at no films, we've written articles on all of those and I've done compare and contrast and whatever. And most of them charge hundreds of dollars for it. And the reason is like feedback is hard to hear. Sometimes you do want someone who also like, you know, you don't have a personal relationship with, so you can't be, it's better to be mad at an amorphous structure, I think, mm-hmm. than, than be pissed at Gigi for being like, Jason, this is a sophomoric idea. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, uh, whatever it is, right? But it is like, it is that, but I think the ability to take feedback, which is not something I've always been good at, right? Like I, I think has become maybe the most important thing in my career because the way Hollywood is now, like you're bringing in an almost finished idea usually to be packaged and then you have to get notes from the, the director, the producer, and the star and it will absolutely change what you have on the page and you will continue to get hired if you are easy to work with. It doesn't mean you're taking every note, but also like you have to take it with a humble heart. You have to hear where they're coming from. You have to interpret these things. It does take age, maturity, and sometimes I do think it took maybe like breaking me down a little, you know what I mean? Like fully breaking me down to like, hey, some of this is just about working and paying your bills and just shut the hell up and and change page 14. You know what I mean? Like, so like, even if you don't think it makes sense, but you know, this is, there's a big business attached to this because it is such a crucial part of, of your process. And, you know, I know a lot of people who are really good writers who aren't good at getting feedback and they're always struggling with like, well, how come my career hasn't moved forward, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, it's because you're, you suck to tell, you, you suck to work with. You know what I mean? Like you might be really good at this, but you suck to work with. And I, I will say just as someone who came up as an assistant working with producers, there are plenty of filmmakers we worked with who we wouldn't work with again because it was such a hard process getting that first thing done. It was such a battle wrestling with them over notes or over changes. And, you know, they're, get me more money. It's like, well, we don't have it. So cut this scene or figure out a different way to do it. Like things that should be easy or, or things that, you know, when you talk to a producer, what they'll say about sustainable careers, I, I think, in my opinion, is that, hey, the reason this person continues to work is because 
they're either producing stuff that's making a lot of money, so they're worth the headache, or they're very easy to work with. And a lot of times there's very famous directors and people are like, I cannot believe these people keep giving these people movies. What they make sucks. And I'm like, you know what? The first thing I, I call is like my friends and I, I can almost guarantee when there's someone like that out, that out there, they're like, oh, that person's so easy to work with. I remember, and I'll tell you guys offline the name, a very famous director who you know people were deriding. And I asked my buddy and he was like, oh, he is one of the most lovely people and we would work with him in a heartbeat. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, I don't care that the internet hates this person. Like, that's the reason they keep keep working. And I do think there is something to that, especially in Hollywood, you know, a town famous for difficult people. If you can be easy to work with and, and, and listening, you know, and, and again, moving forward with a humble heart, you will work consistently, you know, or as far as your talent can take you. I also think it's one of the arguments for coming up in a craft. So, like, I think about the way I responded to notes in film school and, like, storming out of that class. Although that professor, by the end of the night, I shook his hand and he's one of the few professors I still see regularly when I'm back in L.A. And I'm, like, very grateful for him. Brilliant guy. I wrote an article about him, Elliot Silverstein. Amazing, amazing guy. But, like, I was very sensitive and rough and raw and wild. But then I had to work. And, you know, I came up as a DP and directors are always giving you notes and clients are always giving you notes. And, you know, I, I have some clients who are like, I think there should be more light over there. And I think there should be more light over there. And in the beginning, I was like, well, but I'm the DP. I'm deciding where light is. And then eventually I learned to inter- engage and communicate. And then I was a colors for a long time, which is all notes. And I just learned a, a completely different approach, which is like, I don't have to do them all, but I have to respond to them all in some way. I have to engage with them all. Sometimes it's a conversation about why it's a bad note. Sometimes it's a conversation about like, oh, you know, here's what I think is worth trying about that note. And some, and and then explaining like, oh, actually, but no, adding a child to this war movie about a bunch of soldiers behind enemy lines, like it becomes a whole different movie if we had a five-year-old. And I'm glad your wife had that suggestion, but I don't think it'll actually help, which is literally a note I got once, which is like, what if they had a kid with them? And I was like, yeah, that's a different, like, I don't like, you know, come on. So it's. Like it, it changes, you know, being a professional is, is being a professional is knowing how to give and receive these notes. And when I told those stories about like friendships and tenseness, like that's all with people I know professionally, you have to learn how to listen and engage to them. Like that is part of the practice. And if you are very sensitive, you should, you know, I have a friend that after film school, we'd always practice pitching before you'd ever go into a pitch. And like, as much as you practice pitching, I also think you should practice notes sessions with your friends. Yes. And you should, you should have friends grill you on a project to the point where you are ready to hear these things. And the first time you are hearing notes doesn't, because, you know, if you're sensitive, I am, you should, ex- all of professional life is about accepting who you are and how you, how you can do the work you want to do. And practice sessions for notes can be great. And actually like the most complicated has been like trying to talk to friends about the way they give and receive notes Mm. and being like, yeah, this is not like you are limiting your professional growth because of the way you do this. And like, you're not going to get to the next level if you don't work on this can be really a tough conversation to have because it is, it is part of our job, this thing, you know, and sometimes the note you think is dumb is right. Word. Yeah. And that's, and, and sometimes you, you're the dumb one. You know, it's just everything comes back around. I do think, unfortunately, a lot of these are lessons you learn the hard way once and then keep going. And hopefully you don't burn any bridges with your etiquette in the process. Right. Well, the thing that I have, the saying that has stuck with me these last couple of months is 
good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. So even if you're if, if you have messed up, if you have been the person who's a sourpuss when you're receiving notes or you've given the jerk notes, you know, now now we know better. And it's that constantly evolving and in the humility to be able to recognize that that we can do better. I love how honest and open we are about being sensitive to notes. And I think that 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 is a powerful thing to be identifying as creatives that in, a, in an industry that has sort of sometimes masked sensitivity with ego and anger and all this weird toxic behavior. But like the more we can tap into that part of us, the sensitive part, like I think the better, the better it will be. Absolutely. Well, I mean, for me, it's just strategic. It's like if I admit I'm sensitive, I'm way less likely to overreact. Whereas if I try and hide my sensitivity, I'm way more likely to say something I regret later and I have to clean up a mess. And you know where I overreact is the group chat. That's where you overreact. I text, <laughs> you text, text your friends, overreact. Like it's like scream into the void. Don't, don't scream at the other person. Sorry, Charles. Yeah. <laughs> or don't scream on X. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Or if you're going to give an example of a terrible note you got 20 years later, like that note of the like army thing. Of like, what if they had a kid with him? That was 20 years ago. Like, I'm not telling an anecdote about a bad note I got last year because, you know, I might want to work with those people. again. Absolutely. Yeah. Any paying job, like you might have to work with these people all the time. I remember working with a producer a decade ago. Maybe this is statute of limitations. We butted heads a few times. I saw him last year. We worked together on a different project. And you know what he said to me? He's like, remember 10 years ago we were working and that other guy was always uh, making, making, making us argue. And you know what I said? I was like, yeah, that guy was the worst. You know, like <laughs> if you don't remember arguing with me, I don't remember arguing with you either. You know, like it was definitely that <laughs> other guy. But, you know, I think that's sort of the way this all, this all goes. And I think, yeah, uh, are, you know, yeah. This is a tangentially related argument, but there's like four people in Hollywood who look exactly like me. To the point where I, I've had people like go in to hug me and then be like, oh, I don't, I don't know you. But they think I'm like these other That's people. Hilarious. And I've been it's been in my back pocket to throw them under the bus whenever I have a conflict <laughs> like that. When I see someone and I'm like, oh, man, that guy, what a dick. I haven't used it yet, but it's sitting there waiting for when my dop when I need to clean up a bridge. Um, <laughs> That's amazing, Jason. You just made my day. Anytime. Yeah. yeah so etiquette. one one form of yeah. etiquette is blaming. Someone else. That's someone own. else you were in the past. Yeah. 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 I mean, we all want to be in this industry forever, right? Like, we all want to be Ridley Scott making projects in our 80s. Absolutely. Like, this job is the best. And it, it, etiquette goes a long way towards preserving your ability to do that. Right. Yeah. So be nice. Just be kind, right? Like, that's like, isn't that like a bumper sticker? You know? Be whatever. kind, rewind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I liked that movie. I don't uh, know if the internet hated absolutely. it. Absolutely. Oh, no, I love that movie. Michelle yeah, I'm, always shocked. Yeah. I'm always shocked when the internet hates something I enjoyed. Like, I walked, I liked Babylon. Oh, and I, I was, Babylon. Yeah, I thought Babylon was great. The ending was not perfect. I had some notes on the movies they chose for the montage, but whatever. I liked Babylon. Did you tell the, Damien Chazelle? Yeah. We tweeted at him aggressively. Yeah. I did not. <laughs> I went on the internet, and I was like, oh, my God, the internet has some opinions on Babylon. And this is like a very... It was it was surprising to me the passion of of the divisiveness on Babel. I feel like every year there's one movie where half the internet decides it's the worst movie ever made, and how did that movie get made? And last year it was Babylon's turn, and this year it's a movie I haven't seen yet, Saltburn. So I have no opinion on. But like some people on the internet had some takes on Saltburn, 
And I was like, wow, you guys are really swinging for the fences here. Yeah, well, the, you know, maybe we'll leave the audience with the internet. Not always right. It is just a place where people are allowed to say anything. It's a public square. And I think there's a reason that they threw tomatoes back in the day, you know? Yeah. All right. So where can we find each other on the internet to throw tomatoes? I'm on Blue Sky and Mastodon. It's Charles Hayne at both places. I haven't gone to Twitter in months. I feel very proud of that and smug about it. But I'm sure something will happen in this campaign season that will drive me back to Twitter. Um, so, but right now it's just Blue Sky and Mastodon. I'm on uh, Blue Sky and Twitter at Jason Hellerman on both of them. And then Jason at nofilmschool.com if you want to write in. I'm excited for 2024. I'm excited to hear more listener questions or etiquette things. And, you know, if you write something in, let us know if we could talk about it on the show. You know, uh, and if it's interesting, we will. I'm at Lost in Graceland. And tomorrow we have an interview with the founders of the Moonshot Challenge, where we dig into pitching TV shows. And these founders have watched over, I think, 200 pitches in the last two years since creating their pilot accelerator program. And they helped me pitch a show right before the writer's strike. So it's a really helpful episode and conversation. That's awesome. 